His name was Brant. He was a former college football player who had been on a winning Orange Bowl team. He now had graduated and had become uh, somewhat successful in business. He had a wife. He had two kids. His daughter was getting ready to, to go into college But previous to her leaving for college, one night working on some business stuff, he ran across a pornographic website, and his mind began to to just get enveloped. And then as he began to frequent other pornographic sites, he then went and began to move into chat rooms. And then as he moved into chat rooms, it then escalated to the point where he met someone online, left his family, and began to live in an adulterous relationship. He was respected in his community as a church member and businessman and father, and everything now was different. His daughter, having just left for college, wrote him, an email, and it said this, I cannot comprehend the, sense, the sincerity of anything you say anymore, Dad. You say that you love me, yet you knowingly hurt both me and my family. You say that you would die for me, but you were unwilling to live for me. You say that you miss me, yet it's you who left and abandoned me. I'm learning that words are a cheap commodity, especially your words. I'm angry with you for living a life of deception and for going against everything you have ever taught me to be true and right. I disrespect you as a man and a husband and a father. You're a coward for not being willing to sacrifice something for the love of your own children. More than anything, I pity you. I pity you for throwing your life away for lust. You had everything earthly, uh, you had every earthly thing a man could ever dream of. A loving family, two adoring children, a wonderful job, respect in our community and all the possessions you could ever want. Yet you had a void in your life. Instead of filling that void with Christ, you've allowed sin to fill it. You were caught inside a cloud of deception. I hurt for you because I know that one day you'll look back at your life and realize all that you lost for nothing. You are in a dangerous position by not fearing the Lord. It was just quoting innocent expedition on some pornographic websites. And it grew and it grew and sin brought him further and further and further away from God and from his family and impacted all of them greatly. But that's not just something that happens in our culture today. That's been happening for ages. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse number 10. For those of you who are guests, we're going through the book of Malachi together. The book of Malachi was written about 400 years before Jesus 
came to earth, and it was a time of desperation in the nation of Israel. They had been carried off into bondage in Babylon. They've been back for about a hundred years, and during that hundred years, their spiritual life has just devolved and move further away from God. And now the people are just apathetically going through the motions of worship without any concern or thought for God at all. And it not only impacted their worship, but it impacted their walk and their marriage. Malachi chapter 2, pick up with me in verse number 10. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. This is another thing you do. You're covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. And with that, let's pray together. God, I pray that you would take our time together this morning and as we talk about marriage and the family and as we see this negative example in Scripture, God, would you speak to us, Lord, for any man or woman that is flirting with temptation. God, would you drive them from that for any single that is Uh, struggling and being pulled into the lust of the flesh. God, I pray that you deliver them from it. Lord, for those of us who are married, help us to flee temptation and to keep that wedding commitment till death do us part. In your name, amen. The book of Malachi opens up with the people of Israel in that day doubting God's love. Does God really love us? And then in chapter 1, verse number 6, all the way through chapter 2, verse number 9, we not only see that they're doubting God's love, but they are dishonoring God in worship. They're coming to worship and doing the things of the temple at that day, but they're bringing lame sacrifices and, and they're bringing offerings with a, with a, that are blind or with a broken leg and, and they are not fulfilling God's call to teach true instruction from his word. So this doubting of God's love and this dishonoring of God in worship, now in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 and following, takes another step. First, there's the doubting of God's love. Then there's the dishonoring of God in worship. And it finally then grows to this place where people are disloyal in their marriage. 
See, the, the, the real issue is this. God looks and he says, how's your vertical relationship with me? And when their vertical relationship was all about doubting God's love and dishonoring God, then what happens consequently is, is then that affects all of our horizontal relationships and we become disloyal. Listen, if we're not willing to honor God, then we sure in the world probably don't mind being disloyal to someone else. But it shows us and reminds us in the book of Malachi in and life that spiritual problems are always preceding horizontal problems. We look at our community and our culture today. We look at the world in which we live today, where people are, are robbing or causing abuse, or uh, they are uh, involved in all kinds of heinous crimes that go on all around us. Why is that? Do we just need more education on a horizontal plane to fix everybody? Can I tell you, that is not the answer at all. The real issue of society is that there's a spiritual problem that just manifests itself in a lot of horizontal challenges that go around us every day. And so Malachi has driven home for a chapter and a half, look, look at your spiritual life. Look at your worship life. Look how you're dishonoring God. And now he shows as you dishonor God, now you're also being disloyal to one another. And that really is the picture of what we see in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. The challenge is, is when our vertical relationship isn't right, then our horizontal relationships aren't going to be right. So my challenge for us today is, is let's examine how our vertical walk with the Lord is. In Malachi's day, remember the people were spiritually and apathetic in worship and spiritually stagnant in their walk. And because of that, they just went through the motions. They went to church. They did some churchy stuff. They went to the temple. They offered their sacrifices, but it wasn't in the heart and it wasn't from the heart. Their heart had already strayed and now it just becomes made clearly manifest. So we see, and we'll look at three thoughts as we come to this passage. First off, we think about the questions of their perspective. Notice with me, as we look in Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 10, there's the asking of, of three questions. Notice the questions. Don't all of us have one father? Don't we have the same creator? Didn't one God create us? And why are we acting treacherously and profaning the covenant uh, of our fathers or of our ancestors. So they questions the perspective, and then he asks the three questions. And the three questions are laid out in verse number, uh, in, the, in the verse we just looked at, Malachi chapter 2, verse number 10. Hey, don't we have one father? Didn't God, isn't he the one that created us? And why are we treating each other treacherously and profaning the covenant? The, the picture is, is not only the question, but then we see the implications of that question. And the implication is, is God is our father. That God is the one who is in relationship with Israel. For those of us who are believers today, who have truly come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, the picture is, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we could be called the children of God. So if you have come to a personal relationship with Jesus today, then God is your Father, and you are one of his children. And he speaks to Israel and says, look, I am your Father. And a Father is to guide and, and provide 
provide direction and wisdom and guidance. And this is how you are to live. And I'm doing that in a relationship of protecting you and loving you and showing you and guiding you. Why are you acting this way? But God's not only the father, but he's the creator. He's the one who made us. And for us today, he's given us the guidebook on how to live. He knows us. He knows everything about us. He's our father. He's our creator. And then he asked that question. If God is father and God is creator, God is also the covenant maker. He is the one through his word who guides us how to live. And he is the one from all the way back in Genesis who said that, man, I've put uh, this, this in place, that a man is to leave father and mother and he is to cleave to his wife and the, together the two are to become one flesh. Why is it that we are ignoring the covenant? Why is it that we aren't paying attention to the promise keeper who said he's going to be with us all the time? This is the God who had delivered them and provided for them. Remember, he provided manna for them in the wilderness, their great, great, grand, uh, their great, great, great grandparents. This is the one who, after they got carried off into Babylon, now has brought them back. He has kept his promises. And it's like, why aren't you listening? I was at a pizza restaurant a, a few years ago. And while I was at this restaurant, uh, I'm, I'm assuming uh, this was a family-owned uh, restaurant. And the guy in the back, I'm assuming, was the husband and dad. And, man, he is clanging pots and pans back there. And the wife is, is in the front, and, and she's frazzled, and the kid is trying to clean and do stuff. And so from that back, I hear this loud voice, all I want is a family that supports me. And I thought, I don't know what in the world just happened, but I just walked into something big, bad time. You know, this was bad timing. Now, I will tell you, the pizza was really good. Service, not so good. All right? So, so we, we get this picture. And I think what, what Malachi is reaching out and saying, look, we're all part of God's family and God is here with us. Why aren't we supporting what he has told us and how to live? So there's the questions about their perspective. But then there's the confrontations on their sin. He confronts them about their sin. And let me just list all four of them quickly. And then we're going to go back and we're going to touch base. So what is going on in Malachi chapter 10, or chapter 2, verses 10 through 16? Four sins that he's going to bring up. First off, the Hebrew men, the Jewish men who are supposed to be faithful followers of God, they are marrying idolatrous women. They're marrying pagan women. The second thing that they're doing then is that they are divorcing their own wives. Third thing that they're doing is they're forsaking their families. And then the fourth thing that they're doing is they're worshiping like nothing happened. All right? That, that's really the scenario of what we see here. So, so we find that, that this is what's going on. Again, the problem starts vertical. It's a problem in their walk with God. And here specifically in the book of Malachi, he is confronting men. So as he's confronting these men, he, he notice, speaks to them down in, in verse number 11. Judah has acted treacherously and a detestable act has been uh, done in Israel. Judah has profaned the Lord, the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. 
He's forsaking the Lord. And the picture is, is because of that, the holiness of God's sanctuary in this beautiful time of worship is, is being profaned because of what they are doing. Now, God had already instructed them and given them a, a very harsh example in Numbers chapter 25. Because in Numbers chapter 25, you're, again, we're all the way back into the book of Numbers. This is pre-crossing the Jordan River coming into the promised land. But in Numbers chapter 25, there was a group of men who found some idolatrous Moabite women. And they thought that they were pretty hot. And they decided that they were just going to go ahead and engage in intimate acts with them. And the Lord rained down and killed 24,000 of them. They had already been warned. They had already known and seen about the example of King Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 11, and the first 13 or so verses, it says that as Solomon was growing in power, that he married many foreign wives, and they turned his heart from the one true God. He got turned to idols. This is the king of the nation. This is the king, and as he's taking on these wives, these uh, these foreign idolatrous wives, they're turning his heart. And so the challenge is, is this. He says, don't get involved with pagan idolatrous women. Now, there's a lesson here for us today. And that lesson is laid out very clearly for us. That when it comes time for you to make that decision, especially for those of you who are in middle school, high school, college, young adult, and you had that dream of getting married someday, the, the, the challenge laid out for us here is shown in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14, where Paul commands, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The CSB puts it, do not be partners with unbelievers. There, there's a challenge here. Because often what happens, just you think of Solomon. He was the son of David. David was the man after God's own heart. He had watched his dad sing. He had watched his dad worship. He had known the story of how his dad beat Goliath. He knew all of those things. But when push came to shove and these women became, came into his life, his heart got turned toward the things of the Lord away from the things of the Lord and toward other gods. Now, you don't know probably who Olivia Langdon is, but you do know who her husband is. His name is Mark Twain. Mark Twain, if you know anything about him in history, was very, very uh, blasphemous and accusatory toward anything of the Christian faith. He had nothing to do with religion and church. He had harsh rhetoric toward the things of the church and the things of God and the things of religion. But he met Olivia Langdon. Olivia grew up in a God-fearing home, a Christian home. She had a solid foundation in her life. And matter of fact, she got to know Mark Twain, and as she got to know him, Samuel Clemens, as she got to know him, the first time he asked to marry her, she said, no, I can't. Your rhetoric is just way too strong. Your heart against the things of Christ is, 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 is way too obvious. And so, for a period of time, Twain toned down the rhetoric and was a little more quiet. And so she married him. They would have family devotions. And she would open the Bible and she would read and pray. And one day, Twain said, Livy... 
you can continue on with these devotions, but I'm not going to come anymore. I feel like a hypocrite. I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe this stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't fit with my reason. And so that was gone. And over a period of years, the heart of Olivia Langdon, Livy as he called her, just grew very cold and distant from the things of the Lord. So much that when she comes to the time of her death, Twain says to her, Livy, at this time, if you want to lean on your Christian faith, do so. And she replies, I can't youth. She called him youth, his nickname. I can't youth. I haven't any. What a sobering thought and reminder for those of us who think, man, if I can just be a good enough example in marriage, I can win him. If I can just be in church and take the kids to church, I can win her. Listen, draw your line up front and say, that's just not where I'm going to go. I'm going to marry someone of the same strength. We're moving in the same direction. We have the same spiritual foundation. But not only were they marrying idolatrous wives, but they were then divorcing their wives. Notice down with me in chapter 2 and verse number 14. Chapter 2 and verse number 14. You ask why? Even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. No, notice, the Lord is a witness. He's there on wedding day. You have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. And then notice down in verse 16, if he hates and divorces his wife, he covers his garment with injustice. Now notice that phrase back up in verse number 14. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Now a covenant is different than a contract. A contract is based upon two parties that don't trust each other. If you have to sign a contract because you're going to buy a home, you're going to have a mortgage, then basically the mortgage company doesn't trust you to pay and you don't trust the mortgage company to charge more or to try to rip you off. So you sign a contract. You don't trust each other. But not only do you not trust each other, but a contract is built on doing as little as possible. Okay? A contract basically says, I do the bare minimum and nothing more. When you sign that contract, that, uh, that term on your car, and you pay it off in five years, I've never heard of anyone saying, Look, bank, I am so glad that you allowed me to borrow that money. I just want to send one extra month's payment just as a term of and way to say thank you. I've, I've never heard of anybody doing that before. And, and, and likewise, you know, you think of a 30-year mortgage, 360 payments. I've never heard of a mortgage company saying, look, you made all 359 payments in a row. Hey, the last one's on us. I, I've never heard of a mortgage company doing that, all right? There's a contract, and you're to abide by the contract, but you do as little as possible. A covenant is a special promise that involves a spiritual element with it that's based upon two parties who do trust each other and are willing to go over and above even what is expected or required. 
So that in marriage, it's not that, oh yeah, we're always going to do 50-50. No, it's a, it's a hundred, a hundred. And even if it's more service and grace and mercy and love and faithfulness, then you even thought you were going to get, man, I'm just going to pile it on because there's no limit of what I can show. Okay, that's a covenant. That involves a spiritual element with God, but two parties coming together. Now, in Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 14, it talks about the man who's going off marrying idolatrous women and divorcing his wife and breaking the covenant. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it talks about a wayward woman. And in that chapter, it's the woman who is forsaking her companion of her youth and breaking the covenant with her God. So in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in Proverbs 2, 16 and 17, Malachi 2, 14, both of those passages call marriage a covenant. Now, the clearest picture that we see of a covenant between God and man is in Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. He's really reaffirming his covenant from Genesis chapter 12, that promise of land and kids and and, uh, everything that's going to go with it, the blessing. And in Genesis chapter 15, it's very interesting because the Lord has Abram take a cow, a goat, and a ram. And he takes them and he cuts them all long ways. And he opens them up. And then the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 15 that the Lord passes through the animals that are laid out on either side as a smoking, uh, a smoking pot or a flaming torch. Interesting. So, so here's, here's the severity of this. When we go into a marriage covenant and when they would have a covenant of that day, they would split that animal open And both were to walk in between it and say, may this happen to you if you break the covenant. What a serious picture. Now, in Genesis 15, God was the only one to pass through. He didn't make Abram pass through because this was an unconditional covenant that he was making with Abram. And and there was no way God was not going to fulfill his plan. And his purpose. But what we find here is that these guys just filled with lust. Their spiritual lives are off. So listen, when our vertical relationship is not right, that can bring moral vulnerability. And that moral vulnerability can then erupt in marital treachery. That spiritual life is falling apart. Then my horizontal relationships begin to fall apart. The third thing that they do in verse number 15 is then they're forsaking their families. Notice with me in in verse number 15. He says, didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? What does God desire? Godly offspring. What did this young woman say to her dad? Dad, you've left everything you've taught us. There is power in parental example. There's power in grandparent example. And now, he said, what does God desire for us? God desires for strong marriages to build strong families to build a strong society. Spiritually, when we're not right, 
maritally we're not right, and our family we're not right, it impacts all of society around us. And dare I say, we look at everything going on across our nation and the big picture, I think you can drive all of it back. Spiritual, relational, family, many challenges. Now, there is no guarantee that as a parent, that even if you do everything right, that your kids are going to follow the faith. There's no guarantees. We find plenty of examples in the Bible of, of children who decided that they weren't going to follow their family's faith. I mean, good night. Look at Adam and Eve themselves. They've got Abel who's worshiping God and is commended as a worshiper in Hebrews 11. And you've got Cain, his, his brother. I mean, same family, same parents. Everything pretty much the same that you would think about in their life. Same culture, same society, same peer, everything the same. And Cain kills his brother. So there's no guarantees. But I will challenge you with this, that when children grow up with parental hypocrisy or parental legalism that sits upon them, then there is a proneness that can drive them away from the things of God that we as parents need to be careful about in our life. The fourth thing that they're doing then is, man, they're going to church. They're going to temple and just doing their, doing their thing. Notice verse 13. This is another thing you're doing. You're covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. Oh, well, I mean, we're just, we're going to go to church. Everybody around us will think we're okay. We're going to go to church. We'll put a smile on our face and we'll put our church clothes and we'll put, bring an animal and we're just going to go to church just like everybody goes to church. So no one will think anything and God says, you think I'm going to receive that, but I'm not receiving it. I'm not gladly receiving that kind of offering. There's a verse tucked over into Psalm 66 and verse number 18 that all of us need to take to heart where it says this, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I cherish sin in my heart, then God will not hear. If I'm holding on to sin, God says, you can do all you want, but you've got a vertical problem and I'm not accepting your offering in worship. Now notice with me what it says in verse number 15 and verse number 16. In the end of verse number 15, it says, so watch yourselves carefully. And then notice in verse number 16, it says, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. So let me give you, and kind of as we move into our third, third thought here, I want to give you some words of, to watch yourselves. Some words to watch yourselves. And as I think about words to watch yourselves, I, I really kind of want to frame it in, in, in three lights. First off, words, first off, for those of you who are single today. For those of you who are single today, I would say, trust God. Some of you want to be married. I understand that. Some of you, uh, you, you long to have, you know, that perfect girl, that guy that God brings in. I would just say, trust God. Second thing I would say is this, wait 
well. Wait well. What do you mean by wait well? That's exactly what I mean, wait well. You know, when, when David was waiting to be king and was watching sheep, I had one of my pastor friends who used to say, when David was watching sheep, he was doing more than watch sheep. This was his time with the Lord. God may never give you the time and opportunity that he's giving you right now to spend with him. You may never have the freedom to enjoy time that, that may be unobstructed and, and unchallenged uh, on, on, on all the different fronts that come. That time may be right now. So wait well. Seek the Lord. Waiting is not sitting back waiting. Waiting is seeking the Lord. Seeking to be spiritually and mentally and emotionally healthy and in right relationship with Him so that you are ready. The third thing I would say is this. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. I mean, you know... When, when someone's not walking with the Lord and they, quote, call themselves a believer or someone is an unbeliever, don't settle. Don't settle. You keep your convictions high and you make sure and marry someone of the, of the faith who's going to walk with the Lord and going to have a heart for the Lord and the things of the Lord. And when it's the right time, a sovereign God will see his path through. Second thing I would say to those of us who are married Second, so this is to the married. I would say this, keep your promises. Keep your promises. You promised. I'm in wedding season right now. I did a wedding yesterday. I did one a couple weeks ago. I, uh, Kara and Spencer are getting married next week. And then I, we got a couple weddings in, in May as well. So we're right in the midst of it. And you know, yesterday I repeated those words. You know, do you take them? to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part. If you've made that commitment, live it, keep it. I would also say this, work hard. Work hard. Don't, don't take each other for granted along the way. Work hard. Work. Guys, it's work for us to be good listeners. I understand that. My wife told me yesterday, you don't ever listen to me. All right? So, I mean, I, it happened yesterday. All right? I'm, I'm just confessing. All right? I'm not always a good listener. All right? It takes work. She has a lot more words than, than sometimes I have capacity. So, anyway, but uh, she's, she's got a lot of words. And, and, and my life can be just kind of surface communication and, and everything cruising through. But listen, we've got to work. We got to work to spend time, work to make sure that we're together, work to make sure that we're one, work in our communication, work on work on work. And that brings the joy. Every marriage has challenge. Every marriage has have difficulty. And so you have to work. Third thing I would say is this for married, finish well. Finish well. That death do you part, the truth of the matter is, is one of these days, unless the Lord calls us to heaven together or, you know, there's this massive car accident in which we're both taken out together. One of these days, the truth of 
And the challenge of that promise, till death do us part, will have to be lived out. When one gets sick, one's facing suffering. Finish well. And then if I could take my preacher pastor hat off and really just kind of put my uh, pastor shepherd hat on. I would have a word to those who have been divorced. And first, I, I would tell you this. God loves you. Sometimes at church, those who have gone through the trauma of a divorce feel like they're being judged and they face all the, the difficulty. Can I tell you, I've been doing this, and Pastor Jerry, we've been doing this a long time. We know that divorce hurts, and there's lots of reasons. When we think of Scripture, uh, Matthew 19 talks about adultery. When we look at Scripture, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about uh, of abandonment, when the unbeliever abandons his believing spouse. And then we think of abuse. I think you can make a, a good case for for divorce and the area of abuse as well. But I just want you to know that God loves you and, and God forgives. That does not have to be uh, that defining issue of your life. God loves you and God forgives. Then I would say, as you think about your life, be willing to move forward. Move forward. God has a plan. God still has a plan. And God can use you greatly and have you impact people for the kingdom. I, I'm, I'm afraid, and, and I talked with someone recently who's been in a healthy marriage for years and years and years, a long time. And as he shared with me a past divorce from almost 50 years ago, and just the weight that he was still carrying. It's like, brother, man, you need to take that to the cross, and you need to let it go, and then you need to move forward. Have you noticed, those of us who drive, that we have a big piece of glass in front of us and only a little mirror that we look in to check on behind us? There comes a time when we just have to say, Lord, man, I'm receiving your forgiveness. And Lord, take me where I am today, and I'm moving forward with you. That's what I would say. You can't go back and necessarily change the past. I think as much as dependent upon you, the Bible tells us we should live at peace with everyone. But I do want to say to you today that you're loved and valued by God. You're not a second-class, spiritual, spiritually second-class citizen. But the devil in Revelation 12 is the accuser of the brethren. And as the accuser of the brethren, he will bring that up constantly to keep us from moving forward with what God has for us. As we think about our life, and we think about our influence, and we think about the challenges that are before us, we ultimately know that none of us are perfect. And because none of us are perfect, we all need Jesus. And the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, even if we were the one who messed up. Matter of fact, there's been some time in our life when all of us have messed up. We're all broken people. 
But the Bible tells us that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sin. And he rose again from the dead. That even though we may have thought, said, done some really bad things, that we can experience full forgiveness and a welcome into his family and he'll wash our sin away and it will be as white as snow and we are now part of the accepted in the beloved. That's God's amazing, amazing grace. And with that, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time and uh, thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I, I pray, I pray over our singles today, Lord, those men and young men and young women who are, are looking and longing uh, for that time when you lead them to the right person. Lord, I pray that you'd give them great grace and that you'd show your will clearly. Father, for those of us who are married, God, help us to, to love. You challenge us husbands to love as Christ loved the church. Help us to love like that. And Lord, for those who have faced the challenge and trauma of a divorce, God, would you give them freedom today? May the chains, the mark that they feel in their own life, Lord, would you just lift it today? And may they walk with the freedom to serve you and make a difference for the kingdom. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, I pray you draw them in your name.